this chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. No doubt. Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 48. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 2013 movie Snowpiercer. So Charles, tell us about Snowpiercer. All life on Earth has gone extinct, and the last remaining survivors of humanity are on this perpetual train that goes around the world. And in this train, there's like, there's a heavily divided class structure, so the rich people keep the poor people in the back of the train uh, under brutal oppression. Chris Evans leads a revolt of the rear trainers against the wealthy front train people and tr- and uh, tries to take over the front of the train and hopefully establish a better train society. But once he reaches the front of the train, he realizes that um, the revolts were kind of seeded on purpose as a population control mechanism. And then he says, fuck it, and they blow up the train. Everyone probably dies. I mean, they seem to imply that the <laughs> world has uh, melted and like has warmed up to the point where life can persist, but there's only two people left, and they're in the middle of a mountain. And they're children. And they're children, so presumably humanity is doomed, but maybe that's for the best. But polar bears are okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're so innocent and pure, maybe, it, maybe it's for the best. Yeah, we probably should have noted this before you gave the plot summary, but this is a movie with a twist, and we are going to discuss that twist in detail, because you can't talk about this movie without <laughs> revealing that twist. So I hope you've all seen it already. Yeah. And um, in general, we recommend that you watch the film before. Right, but I know not everyone does, and yeah. this one like it will alter your viewing if you, <laughs> if you know how it ends. It didn't really feel like a twist, but maybe because I've... I feel like I've seen this plot mechanic yeah, before. Yeah, sure. It, it happens. That, like, like, it reminded me a lot it. of The Matrix Reloaded when he gets yes. to the front of the train and talks to Ed Harris. It's very <laughs> much like when they talk to the architect. It's got a similar vibe to it. Yeah, less Colonel Sanders, but sure. yes, very similar. But yeah, we do recommend you watch the movie ahead of time. Yeah, this, uh, you chose this film. I did choose this film. I like this movie a lot. Uh, part of the reason I chose it is that I thought Charles had seen it already, and it <laughs> seemed like something that you would like. So I was I well. It's something I've mentioned wanting to see a few times because you had like recommended it to me, right. and I thought the premise sounded awesome. But then I figured, oh, maybe we'd be doing it for this show, so I didn't want. Yeah, so I, I must have mixed that up and thought you had <laughs> actually seen it at some point. So I wanted to fix that error, and also I think this is just a great movie. I think that it is. A, impressive performance from Chris Evans that shows more range than you get in the Marvel movies. Um, I think that it's uh, interesting as Bon Joo Ho's first English language movie, um, seeing that kind of transition from uh, Asia to America more fully happen uh, is compelling to me. And I think that there's just a, a lot to discuss here about a thematically com- complex movie, even if it is obvious for some people. Um, I think that there's more to go on here, it works on multiple levels. Um, and interesting as a study or a 
piece about audience reaction because a lot of people did not like this movie <laughs> and reacted very negatively to it. Um, and I think that there's a lot to talk about in that respect as well. Um, so I think it, leave, it, it gives us a lot to, to play with there. But uh, before we dig into that, how did, did you like it? Because I thought you would. Was, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, great. Okay. I, I, I'm a sucker for sci-fi movies right. like this. Um, so it's easy to see why I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, and it, it's kind of sci-fi in the almost classical sense that it's a big fat metaphor, right? Like sci-fi mm -hmm. is at its best when it's talking about what's going on now, and this movie is doing that in unsubtle ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do wonder if the allegory is maybe a bit too obvious or heavy-handed, but at the same time, it was fun to kind of discover the world they were yes. in. That's one of my favorite parts of sci-fi like this. It's mm -hmm. like one part of it is dis is discovering how the train works and what lies ahead in the rest of the train. And another part of it is seeing what is left in the world beyond because you see glimpses of it through the window. And I always love those little peaks at the yep. frozen world outside. Um, those parts were always like really interesting to me. Yeah, like that that scene when they first get to a window and and they're like are looking at the outside world oh, in like yeah. a real way for the first time in their lives for a lot of them. Like that's that. Was I a didn't really cool I scene. didn't realize until yeah. that scene happened that I hadn't seen sunlight this whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they just don't have windows in the back of the train, right? So this is yeah. quite literally for many people the first time they're seeing outdoors. And that's, you know, it was it worked. It was cool. Yeah. How do you feel about this movie? Um, I like it. I, I can see why people don't. <coughs> like, it's a pretty brutal film. Okay. It's more violent than I remember. It's really, really violent. It's very violent. Yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes appears to be down right now. I was trying to check its uh, <laughs> I, it, I uh, remember it being rating. broadly positive. I think it was in the fresh category. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, uh, it's the, <clears throat> I think it's a very, um, like, a lot of contemporary movies are, like, very ironic, and this movie, like, that just does not look to be ironic at all. Like, yeah. it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's very clear about its messaging. Um, I think it's the most anti capitalist film that we've done. Yes. Next to maybe modern times, but it's. Yeah. But even, even this one is like much more, more so. Yeah, more radical yeah. than that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's the difference between like <laughs> late capitalism and like yeah, it's true. mid century capitalism or yeah. early, early 20th century capitalism. Um, so it's interesting because of that. Um, it's uh, directed by the same director as the host, who, which Just, I and like. some of the same actors. Yeah. Um, I think his name is Kong, Kong Soon Ho. Um, yeah, well, he and, was also in the host. Yeah, um, the, the little girl in this movie is the little girl from the host. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the this same is actors. Like six years later, or something like that. Right around there. Yeah. Yeah. This is from 2013. Um, okay. Yes, that sounds about right. Um, Kang Ho Song. Kang Ho Song. Yeah. Ah Sung Ko is yeah. the little girl. And he works with a lot of the same actors continuously. Mm -hmm. This this one guy appears in almost all the films. He's yeah. in um, Akja as well, which yeah. which I saw recently, which recent. I didn't like as much. Um, and we can talk about why. <laughs> um, but I, I like this film quite a bit. It's hard to watch. It's, it's oh, really? a little uh, intense. Yeah. I mean, it is intense. I think it's just a blast, right? Like, for a movie that is as intense as this and as dark as this, like, it's still, like, I, it, I'm into it and I'm riveted. And, like, it's, I don't want to say fun because it's not really a terrible thing. It's very bleak. Happen. Terrible things happen the whole time. And, like, there's a very plausible reading that the world ends, essentially, or humanity ends at the end of this movie. But, like, it. It holds me, right? Uh, yeah, I think there are parts of it that I really like. Um, I've said this in the past that, like, 
sort of like very realistic amputation kind of bothers me. And yeah, that's happens, understandable. This is like a theme within this movie. <laughs> yes. It opens uh, with that. Like that's almost the opening scene when the guy has his arm in the hole. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like shatter it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's like very hard for me to watch. Yeah. They cut away. So you don't like, you see it get hit. I was a little relieved it. that they cut away. I'm yeah. less yeah. bothered when it's a frozen limb because it's like, <laughs> Right. You it's can, all CG and, all and you can like divorce yourself from it a little bit more but yeah, yeah. it doesn't make me feel any better <laughs> um, they do cut away at choice times yeah. in this movie I, I'm not sure that I am as like high on Evan's performance as you are Wilson oh, I, but, think uh, really good. I think Tilda Swinton is, is oh, excellent in this film yeah. and cartoonishly good um, I like yeah. I like a lot of the scenes in the film the like um the big fight scene with the SWAT team, I think, is great, yes. and the classroom scene, I think, is like one of the best Elson like things film. I've ever seen on film. She kind of steals it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks familiar. I've seen her in. She something. was in Newsroom. That's probably what you saw her in. I haven't seen that. Okay, then you saw her in something else. Yeah, lucky <laughs> you. Newsroom was fucking terrible. Yeah, I watched that show. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I I like this film a lot. I like what's happening in it. I like the messaging. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, the like this is clearly a radical movie. Like I think beyond being an anti-capitalist movie, it is just almost a classical Marxist-Leninist movie in that it just asserts the correctness of violent revolution and the inevitability of violent revolution, um, and isn't shy about it. Right, like that is it, it portrays what they're doing as heroic. It portrays what they're doing as correct. It portrays what it portrays the revolution as something that needs to happen, and it portrays the killing arising from the revolution as justified, including the killing of unarmed prisoners. Like, and that is a radical move. Yeah, it's it's like a perfect illustration of capitalism. Like, yeah, it, it the train is a great metaphor for yep. it. It has like built-in class implications. You see that. Um, there's so many layers to it that uh, child, child labor is used to support luxury in the first world mm-hmm. um, by vis-a-vis uh, in, in what happens in the movie is they every so often come back and take children and young, small enough and young enough. Yeah. And it's not revealed till I, I think this is the spoiler that you're referencing yeah. that very late in the film that children are the mechanical parts of the train that wear out. Yeah. Um, so it, it illustrates that, like, you know, like like all things, like luxury is built on slave labor and child labor from the third world. Yeah, I mean, um, even even beyond the, it, it's not just luxury. Like the yeah. whole mechanism, right? Like, yeah. all of capital and all of the world that capital supports depends upon child labor, child labor, and, and forced, unpaid labor, human chattel. Right, yeah. like that is that is what capital needs in order to function, mm-hmm. and it the movie further posits that that's unacceptable. Right, like that's when Chris Evans turns. Right, like because he's he was wavering before that about whether or not he's going to take over for uh, Wilford. What's the bad guy? Yeah, name? I think it's Wilford. Wilford. Right. Yeah, like because he's he's offered the chance to take over for the Ed Harris character, who's the big bad, like that runs the train, and he is wavering. Yeah, he's and, the god emperor of the train. Right, and until <laughs> yeah. he sees that what is keeping this going is child slavery. And like that, that's when it's like, this all needs to be destroyed. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing this movie touches on very well is um, how pol- the police are used as a mechanism to protect the 
the upper class yeah. in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and are essentially like class traders that they, they yeah. sacrifice themselves for the upper class for no clear reason yeah. and do so willingly and yeah and yeah aren't even really accepted into the upper class right like they exist as this this buffer between them without being of either one yeah no they're but just like, pawns that are used by the upper class yeah they're their own enforcer class and they just like that yeah. illusion of power i presume yeah well i mean an actual power right like they, yeah. they kill people right like they are in control and they do get to exert you know physical domination of of the people at the the rear of the train. Yeah, and the movie, there's so many layers to the movie. They also get into, like, how kind of the religious nature of Wilfred is used to, like, indoctrinate the police. Yep. Um, And they do this by showing that on New Year's, they pass, like, a particular moment, and everybody, like, sings a song, and they, like, stop a fight. Right. To, like, (laughs) sing a song. Yeah. (laughs) Which is somewhat of a reference to... um, in, in World War Two, or no, in World War One, One. Yep, it was where Christmas. the two sides like stopped and like celebrate Christmas, and then go back to like murdering each other. Yeah, well, no, that, uh, that is uh, close to what happened. But how yeah. I heard the story is that they stopped each side and celebrated Christmas and played soccer for a little while and had a snowball fight. Right? And had a snowball fight. Yeah. Went back to their trenches and each side refused to fight after that, and they had to move them to a different part of mm. the war to a different part of the front because they wouldn't kill the guys that they had just like celebrated and, and yeah. played soccer with. It's a little less grim, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and the perfect illustration of like how the <laughs> sort of like working class was like essentially tricked into fighting for World War I. <clears throat> yes. Because uh, yeah. like Many- all this nationalism was stoked. Because before that, there was, there was actually like a very strong internationalist labor movement mm-hmm. and they were able to kind of like trick people into fighting for World War I by having all this like stoking all this nationalism. Um, and the, the aristocracy, like, just pawn them essentially. Of course, so, like, yeah, because yeah. to yeah. protect their interests, because yeah, they they lose when there's an international labor force. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, yeah, and it's one of like many anti-capitalist layers in the movie. I also really like that the the, the sort of like middle to upper class is mm-hmm. just sort of like this like party class yeah. where they exist solely to like just do drugs and like party and <laughs> yeah and just dance and be drunk all the time and, and fuck each other and yeah yeah it's kind of like a perfect illustration of sort of like the the one percent but not the one percent of the one percent right like yeah just you just constant you know human pleasure constantly yeah it reminds me a lot of just like looking through like instagram feeds and being like how do these people afford this right and it's like oh this is just it, like american aristocracy that's yeah like, they, they yeah. afford it because there are slaves and yeah like, child labor and yeah yeah, that's how on the backs of, of millions. That's how they afford it. So I think those are like the major touch points. Of, yeah. Well, and also like the conditions in which people live are perfect illustrations of like first and third world countries and yeah. Right. Well, and the you you brought it up earlier, but the role of education, I think it like plays a central role here as well. Um, and the Allison Pill character essentially feeding these children propaganda lines and the children regurgitating them enthusiastically and mm-hmm. like how do you overcome that then right like if you're a child on this train how do you ever get to the point where you can see where the chris evans character is am coming i from? misremembering this or do they do like a fake pledge of allegiance like oh they, yeah wilfred yeah they have a little yeah. song and they dab yeah. before dabbing was <laughs> a thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um yeah <laughs> yes, all of that happens. Um, uh, like numerous, like little slogans and logo show up during that scene, and 
Allison Pill is clearly a true believer, too. That's the other thing. It's, she's not just... Yeah. Because the Tilda Swinton character is turns on him as soon as her life is threatened, right? Like, she says she'll give him up. Give yeah. Up she's like a Trotskyist. Or like, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but Allison Pill, is, she goes down immediately and, like, whips out the guns and is ready to just die fighting for the upper class as a teacher, <laughs> which is... A pregnant teacher, uh, which is... Uh, Important, I think, an important distinction between the two characters. Yeah, I think it. She's meant to like her religious nature is yeah. like meant to like underline that. Yeah, that but and it's not just that yeah. Wilford is divine, right? Because they they do posit him that way, but they also posit the train itself is divine, right? So it's not just about the leaders being holy figures, but the whole system itself being ordained by God. And yeah. I think you, you see capital positioned that same way, you saw feudalism positioned that same way prior to capital. Yeah, you see the the US being positioned that way too. It's yeah. like a divine nation. Right. A divine a divine nation that is participating in a divine system. Right? Yes. That that yes. capitalism is something that God has has given to us and we are being, we are doing our religious duty when we participate in capital, right? And I, you see that exact same thing here because it's beyond just Wilford, it's the train itself that's divine, mm-hmm. right? like, which is an important, I think, nuance um, in, in the movie. Uh, that said, like, we, I mean, you can point to basically any scene in this movie and like draw a parallel to modern capitalism. A lot of people found that too obvious, right? So like, <laughs> on yeah, a filmmaking I, level, I think, like, was this too on the nose like it, it was this just something's like of course that's what is going on here you don't need to beat me over the head with it um or did it, it did kind of feel that way to me right i didn't really have that much of a problem with it but i can see how someone easily could yeah um and like i'm not sure if it's really a problem with the movie if it's that obvious yeah and i i think it varies from audience member to audience member i don't think there's a way to temper the message like if yeah. you do it sort of like falls victim to like the liberalism that we experience in politics where it's like yes. if we tone it down it becomes something else yeah it becomes something else right like the, the subtlety change being more subtle changes the politics yeah I, I also think that like this film more so than a lot of films is like very kind of like the raid it seems very inspired by video games where you yeah. you advance through these different levels and the bosses get harder over time and then mm-hmm. yeah um and video games have like a lack of subtlety as well. They're like they're very on the nose as to like here's the message that we're right. getting across like, when they have this. any kind of coherent ideology. At all. Even if they don't, yeah. right? Like the Call of Duty series, right. it's just like <laughs> military, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that's like their message, right? yeah. Like yeah. The, that that seems way it, that seems intentional. Like in the Call of Duty games, like there's no way that they're not consciously saying we are going to celebrate the military in America. Yeah, I think they get a bunch of free advertising because of that. Yes, free Um, money outright. um, Yeah, so I I think the lack of subtlety kind of connects it to its source material, which seems to be video games. Yeah, And and, and, and one of many films that's very much inspired by The Raid. Yeah, well, uh, video games and comics, because this is based on a French comic book. Um, that I have not read. I don't know. I assume it's been translated to English, but um, yeah, no, this yeah. is a, this is another comic movie. Yeah. So Chris yeah, Evans. I'd be curious about that. Yeah, I would too. That I kind of want to read it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also not surprised it's a French comic. It yeah. seems to be a political nature to most French comics that I've seen. Yeah, well, and, and Fr- France is. Or I'm aware of. Yeah, France is just has has a more revolutionary or leftist revolutionary history than the United States certainly. Um, so in that sense, yes, that's not surprising either. 
but yeah, it's a, it is a French comic, and it does get credits at the beginning of the movie. Um, it's missing like a guillotine, then, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does like the, it, the. It's kind of a turning point for the the Chris Evans character when he does just execute Tilda Swinton, right? And he doesn't mm-hmm. really hesitate, right? He has a gun. She's bound and handcuffed on her knees, begging for her life, and he shoots her in the head, and they never talk about her again. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's it. Like it is not pitched as something. Like it, it's not pitched as him turning towards the dark side, right? Because I think it would be easy to take that moment and be like, okay, and now he's turning evil. Now he's you know buying into their game. It's yeah. pitched as now he's taking it seriously, right? Like now he knows he's what's like at stake. Asserting his role as a leader more, right? A, a leader and and a, a warrior almost. Like he, he's asserting his role as someone that needs to do this, and it is right for him to do it. Yeah, and I think it's important, like the me- the underlying message of the movie is that like even turncoats that help you right are not on your right. side and so like the it's difficult not to draw comparisons to like their current political situation but right. sort of like the the david Frums and like the bill crystals of the political world right who, that are now saying like trump's a bad dude yeah it's like it's yeah like, and until and it's your fault yeah and, right exactly yeah. yeah and until 2020 right when you know Mitt romney is president or whatever right exactly. <laughs> then, they're, then they're gonna <laughs> yeah. turn right around and the the sort of like people who are quick to embrace these figures of our uh i want to say that I mean, I mean they're dumb first of all yes. like they're being taken in by uh people who don't who are taking advantage of them yeah don't have their interests at heart yeah 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 totally yeah and and you and you pointed it out earlier that you, that also comes across in this movie right like you have this almost not the one percent of the one percent how you put it but still these people that are being taken in that are being indoctrinated and not questioning it for a second yeah and and it, like the I think one of the strong messages here is that like you you make your you make your own bed. You yeah. Know, like the choices that you make, which side you're on matters. Yep. And being a turncoat does not make you redeemable. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and she wasn't even much of a turncoat, right? Because she lied. Right. Like there was she yeah. lied about what they were capable of. She thought that she had a, a way of getting out mm-hmm. and, and and didn't actually have that. Like that's that was the moment when he knew, okay, like these people are not gonna be on our side. And you can't convert them, right? You can't just persuade them to, like, be decent. Right? Yeah, yeah. You have to take it violently. Um, want to talk about Chris Evans? Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. You said. I mean, I think he's brilliant here. Like, I think that his, that this is really a an expansive, important performance for him. Um, how did Chris Evans land for you, Charles? Um, for a lot of the movie, I wasn't too convinced by no? like how his character was written. Um, mainly, I guess, because uh, I don't think he was given much room to perform until later in the movie. Because earlier on, he's just like, oh, you know, we got to do this thing. And then they f- have a bunch of fight scenes. Uh, the emotional stuff scenes. is much later in the movie. Um, but earlier on, they have this whole plot line about him being reluctant to lead the train um, because he thinks he's not fit to be a leader. And he keeps talking with, uh, who was that, Ian Holm, I think it was? Uh, John old, Hurt. John Hurt, there we go. I get yep. their names mixed up all yep. the time. Uh, the old guy. <laughs> yes. What? Understandable. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so he, he has these conversations with John Hurt um, about, you know, how he's not fit to lead the train. It just felt kind of, it wasn't convincing. Really? It, okay. 
it felt like his character wasn't really established and it was just him kind of I don't know just a refusing the call thing yeah, yeah. exactly it, it was just that sort of feeling but I was much more sold on it later when he tells his tragic story about the cannibalism in the back of the train and all that then that really sold me on the plot line it's just annoying that it, didn't it happened after the fact so that I had to be I had to be <clears throat> unconvinced by the plot and then kind of retroactively buy it later um, but yeah he explains that Earlier on, he was basically a cannibal and he killed some woman, was about to kill her baby um, to eat and survive when John Hurt's character comes up and cuts his own arm off so that they can eat um, and basically saves the baby's life. And the baby becomes um, Chris Evans's second-hand man and best friend. Until he dies. Until he dies, yes. Yeah, like halfway, not even halfway, like a third of the way through the movie. They kill him off pretty early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they so kind of trick you into thinking that he's going to be a, the a main character. or something. Right, and yeah, they, they kill him off before the halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, That's um, Edgar, is the character's name, Edgar, yes. uh, played by Jamie Bell. Yeah, so I really I really liked that moment when he explains the story. I thought that was a really powerful and well-delivered um, bit. Um, it's just that they developed the character after all the earlier stuff had happened, so the earlier stuff didn't feel as well formed. Um, I hear that, like, and that's, I think that's a, a criticism and a problem with a lot of, uh, of action movies in general. And I think it comes up in sci-fi specifically a lot. This idea that the character is like arbitrarily refusing the call over and over and over again until like they get ninety minutes into the movie, and now they can start taking you know, affirmative action like that, that was my problem with with force awakens mm -hmm. so <clears throat> i'm also often very sympathetic to that point <laughs> i think it's different here yeah because i think if you open this movie with or even like 20 minutes in this movie or whatever open this movie with chris evans is a recovering cannibal who not only ate people but ate children Right, like I think if that's where you start this movie, it's really hard to be on his side for the rest of the time. Yeah, right? like I think that you need—they need to establish him as this reluctant leader who is also very good at it, willing to, you know, make the tough call, willing to execute the unarmed prisoner, you know, cares deeply about the people that are in the, the rear of the train, which I think they do establish well, and then show you what capitalism and what the train and what the uh, all the upper classes drove this decent man to do mm -hmm. right i think that that that's why the the structure of this is is so perfect for me and just like so well realized is that if we start with this is a terrible man and then have to redeem him the whole movie yeah, that's, that's different than this is a good man and here's the terrible thing that he did and here this is why he had to do it right and i think that with this reveal it becomes very we see the tragedy of it for Chris Evans, rather than the than it functioning as something that the movie has to overcome, it's something that's dramatic for the character. Right? And I think that that that's pretty critical, and the performance that he like that he's able to deliver the line that he knows that babies taste best and have it not sound ridiculous, mm -hmm. because that is a ridiculous line that's like so outlandishly <laughs> cartoonishly evil, yeah. and he makes it sound like personal and tragic. Like that is a strong testament to his talent as an actor. That's true. I didn't I think, think about that. Yeah. Now, what do you, what do you, you said you were more mixed on Chris Evans than I was. I had the same reaction Charles had. I, okay. I, I like Tilda Swinton a lot in this movie. She's, I think, she's I think like, she she's, still steals the film. <laughs> she's always good. Yeah. And um, she's also in Akja, 
mm-hmm. the follow-up film to this. Yeah. And she's, like, even more cartoonish in that movie. <laughs> um, I haven't seen... I, I know it's just on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet. It's a, it's a wacky movie. Okay. I think the first half is really good, and then it goes, like, really dark in the second half. Really? And, like, did not... And it's, like, two very different movies. Okay. One is kind of, like... It starts with this kind of, like heist like adventure caper sure um because aksha gets like stolen and they're like which aksha is like a giant pig okay and <laughs> is that uh, the name of the species or the, this one's name th- this one's name is aksha okay they're Perfect. called super pigs in the, in the, <laughs> yeah okay um and aksha lives in korea with this girl right and uh, they're like best friends, and then Aksha okay. gets like stolen, and she has to like go try and save him. That part of the movie is like great. Sure. Um, then it gets sad. Then it gets sad. I can and see turns, how that could get sad. <laughs> the whole movie is about like food and industrialized right. food and like genetically engineered <clears throat> food. Mm-hmm. And the second half is they're trying to like save Aksha from this industrial meat packing plant. Okay. And that gets like very dark. <laughs> And it's like, it, huh. it's like re- pretty real too. Like they show like other super fakes like getting slaughtered and Ugh. like, uh, right. and it doesn't end on like a happy, happy note, like spoiler. Okay. So, uh, yeah, cool. But it's like hard to balance with the cartoonish nature of the earlier part of the film, yeah. of the earlier part of the film and Tilda Swinton's character and, um, uh, what's his face? the other guy that's in this? Um, the Nightcrawler guy, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Hill- Gyllenhaal. Um, I really watch this. I love Gyllenhaal. He's like even more cartoonish than Tilda Swinton, <laughs> and she's like on okay. eleven. Okay. Uh, and that there, the cartoonish nature of those characters is hard to balance with the like very stark nature of the messaging of the film sure. and the second half of the film. Um. What's interesting about Bong Joon-ho, though, is that in all of his movies, he seems very intent to have, like, very political messages and messages that are uncomfortable to... On a thematic level, like, he is a very functional filmmaker, right? He's not afraid to be very outright about it. He's very outright about it, but he's also very conscious of what he's saying, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that there are a lot of movies and a lot of filmmakers that don't keep in mind a through line in their film that's saying like what what is the what's the semiotics here like what am i saying when i do this and he that's clearly what grounds him in his film like what that's what he's thinking about yeah i agree and he's like this was the most expensive korean film ever made to date really um it's a a year old but so this is like this is like if Michael Bay had like a political ideology that made sense. <laughs> it, like he does have a political ideology, he just doesn't articulate it. He, he does, <laughs> and like, it's bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this would be like having like a, the most popular director in the country be like a giant activist. Like, yeah. And that's like you don't see that in American filmmaking. No. Hollywood like sees itself as somewhat activist because they like. They make, like, right. some smaller films are supposed to make you feel good about, you, you know, whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's, like, very few, like, true political, like, activist filmmaking that's happening. It mostly happens in documentaries. Yeah. So it's bizarre to encounter a, a filmmaking system where, the like, the guy, the director, the mm-hmm. person who's like, leads this industry <clears throat> is, like... Kind of like a Marxist hippie, like yeah, 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 and like 
conspicuously so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like bears it on his, you know. Yeah, it puts it in his films. Yeah. And is very obvious about it. And yeah. his films are like very popular. Netflix yeah. paid him a lot of money for Akja. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Snowpiercer too. Like, I mean, and, and yeah. he's landing. Look at look at the cast. It's Captain America's in this movie. Tilda Swinton, who's like, yeah, no. people want to work with him. Yeah, he makes like he makes really good films. Yeah, They're cool. Yeah. I was a little surprised when Ed Harris showed up. And like, yeah, Ed, Is Harris. That Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah, Ed Harris. yeah, one of the great actors currently yeah. working. Yeah, currently working. Yeah, yeah with, without a doubt. Um, so, I mean, that's just what good storytelling can do, right? <laughs> just tell your story well. Be conscious of what you're saying. Yeah, we'll see. I yeah. mean, but I mean, a lot of money, like a lot more yeah. money, is riding on American yes. films, and that's when they turn into these messes, like right. the Justice League or you know whatever. Which I still haven't seen. <laughs> uh, I'm Charles has seen that, right? So I say, don't bother. Okay. okay. Is it, it? It won't surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess that was kind of like Batman versus Superman did surprise me, right? Like I was expecting it to be bad, and it was bad in ways I didn't expect. Yeah. And worse than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, like, in that sense, it was kind of—I I don't know if I'm glad I saw it, but like it was at least surprising, which is valuable. Uh, um, I would call Justice League just so aggressively mediocre. So it's not like aggressively bad, like Batman right. versus Superman. So it's was, less interesting. But they do a lot of things that have been done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but worse. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, the bad guy is just generic big alien dude, and like the Flash. Like they've done all the scenes with Quicksilver in the X Men films. Right. So you just kind of get a rehash of those. Yeah. Um, but we've already like. You know, we've been to that. We dance. tread that ground already. Yeah. Uh, speaking of superhero movies, um, Captain America is in this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's pretty relevant that Chris Evans is cast here, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that Bong Joon Ho was only thinking about, oh, this is an upcoming young white American star. Like, there are plenty of people <laughs> that could have put in this role, and he put the one that plays Captain America Matt Damon. in this role. Yeah, I bet it also like helped this movie gain an audience that it wouldn't have sure. it was a surprise hit um, yeah. this is financed or the American side was financed by the Weinstein company yes, and they were <laughs> they were surprised the, that the logo came up when yeah. 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 I started <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they were surprised at, at its success it's at its success and expanded its uh, box office run because of that which yeah. is like um, that yeah. like rarely happens with yeah. I, American so, films never mind like Foreign films. Yeah, I saw it on opening weekend, so you're welcome, America. Yeah, <laughs> you got to see this because of me. I, I only saw it on Netflix because it was on Netflix later, and yeah, that was when I saw it. You know, I saw. It, I remember at, at the Angelica, it was I was there. It was it was like a pretty packed house too, hmm. and it was good. Um, but I think that gets to like Captain America being in this movie. Um, I think gets to one of the like the the alternate reading of this film because like the clearly the intended or not the other reading is intended to, but the a reading is the class-based Marxist reading that we've discussed so far. But I think that this movie is also about movies. I think that he is... Uh, another one of those. Yes, I think it is another one of those. Um, I think that he is talking about the destruction of the typical action hero and the form of the typical action movie. Um, and that you end up, at the end of this, with the train being destroyed and who survives is an Asian woman and a young child of color. Like that. That's that's what happens at the end of this movie. Um, the everything that le led up to it is referred to multiple times by Ed Harris as a blockbuster, a production, <laughs> right? As something that was staged, something that was supposed to happen in order to both serve the function of killing off a bunch of poor people, but also distracting <laughs> and scaring the people that were uh, in the the upper trains. I, 
I think it's about action movies, and I think it's about how action movies function in society, but also where Bong Joon-ho wants action movies to be oriented going forward. And even like the like mechanical inner workings of the train yep. are when they show the locomotive are like reminiscent of like old school film cameras right like, like sort of the mechanical the, it, you look at the engine itself right it's yeah. a big wheel that goes around with other all sorts of other wheels inside of it it looks like a film reel yeah right so, going, so we got a bit of cabin in the woods in this movie as well. uh, yeah i thought yeah. blowing up the train at the end reminded me of the ending of cabin in the woods certainly he lets it die yeah yeah so yeah and that, that's a i think that's an apt uh parallel yeah. um and, but this this is clearly more specifically about action movies, yeah. um, and casting the guy that plays the lead in the big action franchise currently is it, I think, puts a pin on it. Like, mm-hmm. That makes that pretty clear. Um, and then Ed Harris actually referring to blockbusters um, <laughs> during his his closing speech. That did give me a bit of pause when he was yeah. saying it, but I actually forgot about it when the movie was over. Yeah, I think so. that that was carefully chosen. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that the, that was an accident. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like that reading gets lost a lot of the times um, amongst the larger class reading because that is clearly the, the most important thing in this movie. Um, but it is, it's here. And I think that it's important that Bong Joon Ho's answer is have more women involved and have more persons of color involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also the, the mimicry of the read is. Yeah. Very easy to underline here. The Raid is such an important film. This is one of many films that was inspired by it. Yeah, and you have not seen The Raid, right? Charles? I have not seen it, but I've okay. seen numerous films that were inspired by it. I you, well, you've seen both John Wick movies, right? Yeah, I've seen John Wick. Uh, I hear Dread is very similar. Dread is like a almost shot-for-shot remake of The yeah. Raid. That's a strong yeah. endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dread was super Atomic Blonde. Was super awesome. Well, I think Dread's great. I yeah. really like Dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, 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 I haven't seen it. And so. I think it's a, it's a good aping of the raid okay that's i'm, I'm sad it didn't be. do well in theaters so they couldn't do a sequel because it was pretty awesome was <clears> yeah the people who saw it really liked it but just yeah, nobody it's went a, it's it. more of a cult hit now yeah i think the stallone version like kind of oh tinged yeah, it that movie was for awful. people oh, God. <laughs> who was in the this one then who's in dread carl urban yeah it's carl urban oh okay yeah um, he was in thor too basically yep. <laughs> yeah um okay i because I, I think i was confusing it with the stallone one so I'm glad the Sloan one's unwatchable. That's Judge Dredd, yeah. and it was horrible. Got it. Okay. It's like, yeah. it's worse than you think it would be, and it's it doesn't get to the so bad it's good territory, except okay. for like one scene out of it, maybe. Okay. So, but, but there was an er- earlier one too, right? No, I think that's okay. It. So the, the, the the Judge Dredd is from they. That's the older one in the yeah. in the eighties. Uh, it's the nineties. Is it nineties? Yeah. Okay. It's one of those things that like totally misunderstands its source material. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. The new one does as well, but in a different way. <laughs> but in a way, that's fine. The misunderstanding like, is compelling. It's, it's, own, it's its own document. It ends up being fine. Like right. The Stallone one tries to be the comic, but misunderstands that it's like a metaphor for fascism. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the guy that's literally the judge, jury, and executioner is not the, not supposed to be the hero, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what a stunner. Um, okay. But, but I think it... Shows why Stallone is so toxic, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, because I think I was conflating those movies, or I thought that Stallone remade that one as well. Um, but no, he did not. Okay, that one I think also bombed, but <clears throat> just because people it was reviewed very poorly. Okay, and it was bad because it was bad. <laughs> bombed because yeah. it was bad. Okay. Um, speaking of this movie, didn't bomb, but it did get some negative reactions. Um, mm-hmm. There were people that did not like this movie. Did not like. Stallone yeah, I've, I've talked to people that really dislike it. Yeah, and I. 
I think for the person that I spoke to, it's because of the violence. That's, I mean, that's fair. That's right? fine. Like yeah, if someone, some people don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that's your reason, that's fine. That is not the reason I've seen, the reasons I've seen most commonly cited. Um, I think the, so there's a surprising number of people that miss the allegory, A, which I think is... That stunning. miss it? Yeah, which is stunning to me. I mean, they hit you over the head with it. Yeah, they, they, I agree. But Almost I've, literally. <clears throat> I've heard from multiple people. Because I think one of the most annoying defenses of a movie being critiqued is you just didn't get it. But man, oh man, there are a lot of people that just didn't like. I thought it'd be the opposite. Yeah. Like, I know plenty of people who would be annoyed when an allegory or message in a film is too obvious, right? Particularly with this message. Yeah. yeah yes. And here, I thought it was ex- it was overt to the point where like they were basically telling it to us directly. Yeah. Like there were there were some times where they were they might as well have been. It's just they should have been quoting the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. They should have dressed as like the Monopoly Man. Or, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The monocle. That's like the only thing it's missing. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Mr. Moneybags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, that is the only thing it's missing. Um, but yeah, apparently there exist people in the world that watch this and we're like, I don't get it. That and perplexes me. I, I concur. Um, the other, I think, more common critique is people that poke at the logicals in this movie. I think this is a movie that has been targeted yeah. by so the people that care about... How could about, people have ended up on this train? Literally, yes. Like, they'll say stuff like that. Like, th- them all being on this train doesn't make sense. So, How does this train move forever? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I've spoken to someone who is a train aficionado. <laughs> and, and could not... A real-life Wilford. Right. Could not get past the... Me- mechanics of the train. Yeah, yeah. physics I mean, of this movie. I makes like no trains, sense. but I think it's rad that they have this awesome train in this movie. Right, that's like, all I think uh, about. Yeah, I, I don't like that problem with movies. I, I truly do not understand why you go to the theater if that's how you're approaching film. Like, if you're just looking at a movie like Snowpiercer, which is a giant high sci-fi, high concept, you know, allegory about class and saying trains don't work that way. Like, if that's what you get walking away from this movie, I don't understand what you are expecting when you go to a movie. I mean, some people want to see the future of train technology in a movie, right? I, I and guess. they want something that's plausible. Right, but then, like, go subscribe to a fucking trade journal or some shit. Like, that's not what film is for. That's not how it is meant to function. I feel like if you are an expert in something that, like, a movie dives into, though, it's very difficult to, like, turn that part of your brain off. Like, right. I, like, if you're... Or if, if you're like a pilot, the common one is if you're a programmer like me, and they have like a fucking yes. hacking scene. Yeah, right. it's on a very TV show or movie. It's it's like nails. Even if you have like a cursory knowledge of like how computer hacking works. Yeah, like, and like you know, for the plot of the movie, it's yeah. easy just to have them like type on a screen and say I'm in, and you don't want to go into the bullshit about it, right? But it's annoying right. to see. Right. Well, and I think that there's a difference, right? Where like that kind of stuff, it's used as like a plot contrivance, right? Like when they need some way to like do the thing that's necessary for the plot, they get lazy and they write mm-hmm. bad computer screenwriting. This was the, like, but when you complain about how the train works in Snowpiercer, you're arguing against the premise of the film, right? Like, you're, it, it's it's like watching Lord of the Rings and well, saying even, magic isn't real. Even in the, <laughs> like the, yeah. what was it, the astronaut, the Matt Damon film? The Martian. Martian. The Martian. The, like the way the air pressure is right. on Mars, it's really low air pressure. So, like, the accident that happens at the beginning of the film wasn't possible. The guy who wrote the film was like... He acknowledged it, right? He acknowledged it. He's like, I've re- researched everything very much in depth, and he was like, this is the only thing that I couldn't figure out. So, right. as a plot device, I just created this. Right. And most people don't know this about Mars. 
And, and who cares? Because yeah. if it's not there, there's no movie. But only like the Neil deGrasse Tyson's of the world are like right. cr- critical of. I can see like why that. it might be more of a problem for The Martian since that one seems much closer to reality and it seems to like aspire to be more realistic. And that's part of the interesting aspect of it is that these are potentially like real people solving real problems that could arise in the future if we were to go to Mars. It's more grounded in reality than Snowpiercer is. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. But even there, like, once you start arguing against, like, the, the premise of the movie, or once your argument, once the answer to your argument is because then there's no movie, like, you've really got to start thinking about why you're, you care about this and why it's in the movie in the first place, right? Like, sometimes, yes, there are plot holes, there are logicals that are relevant and that pull you out of the movie and that are a problem and should not be in there. But so, so often, I feel like people are positioning themselves as smarter than the movie and smarter than the screenwriters. and People like to think they're smarter. Right, and it's just about ego, right? It's just about the self. Yeah, I think when films do this poorly, they often try and over-explain themselves rather than yeah. just kind of, like, accept their ridiculous nature and move on. Right. Um, right. I've said that about John Wick in the past. I think The Martian actually does a good job with this where they're just like, yeah, this is what happened. Right. And then they just, like, get into the Wait, film. what about John Wick? <laughs> The like the the world in which John Wick exists in is absurd, mm-hmm. but they build it up in a way where they're just like, "This is this is how it is." Like yeah. assassins trade gold coins to kill people in this mm-hmm. in this world, right? And they're just like moving on. Like if you don't, if you're not into that, like then the story isn't for you. Then yeah, then, <laughs> then what are you here for? Yeah, and they like they don't give you a chance to like say like. Oh, I don't care. But then, but then there, the opposite <laughs> happens in some films where they like over-explain yep. why things work, and that's usually where like things go really poorly. Right, because we, we shouldn't. You see this a lot in sci-fi. Like bad sci-fi yeah. films over-explain themselves, and they dwell on the inner workings of like why it's supposed to work. Well, this the midi-chlorians. way. That's a, yeah. That's like the best example. That's maybe. a great example. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. Star Wars was way better when it was just magic. Right. When the answer to what is the force is space magic, and yeah. Once it stops being that, like, y- what are you gaining? Like, what are you gaining when you understand Nothing. how midichlorians work and shit? Like, you're not, you're not, you're losing so much. Um, so w- when I when I see people like that, I'm just wondering what what they're expecting from film. I feel like when you, when you start approaching art in general and really cinema in particular as a logic game, right? As as just like an ex- a logical explanation of a series of events, like. You're kind of not engaging with cinema in a helpful way, right? Like you're depriving yourself of so much of what art is supposed to be about, and it's not about just explaining things in in clear in, in a clear path all the time, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of one of the problems of sci-fi versus fantasy, right? You talk mm-hmm. about Lord of the Rings, and nobody cares that magic exists in this world, right. That there or that there are orcs because it's not Earth and it's some like magical realm. But people don't really treat sci-fi the same way because they expect sci-fi to be the future of our world today. Right. Right. And there's more of an expectation of reality. Right. But I, I think that's a, fun, a misunderstanding of science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, another great example of this is uh, like Back to the Future. Back to the Future is just like, yep, there's a car, it travels through time. This thing, it, it, it runs it lets on it go back in time. Or plutonium. It, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and that is our mechanism for exploring. Yeah. It's like, other yep, ideas. that's it. Like, right. And like, they kind of, they explain it in kind of silly ways at times, but it's a joke like within the film where right. he's like, well, why? Like, it's why not is, an actual explanation. Yeah. yeah like, he says, like, being kooky. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we, well, we need to do the DeLorean because it has a steel structure to like, a, like, and that protects, yeah. Yeah. Like, 
in, you know, in time travel. Yeah. But it's like silly. <laughs> okay. It, I yeah. guess that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like a joke. It's not, they're not like over explaining it. Like, yeah. And it, it's just, yeah, these they are, actually have a, one of the best jokes in Back to the Future is uh, the, the professor, the scientist, Doc, uh, Brown. Doc Brown. Yeah. Rick. He, he's like, he, um, the older, ver the 50s version of himself is trying to figure out how to get Marty back to the future. And he devises this model of the town and the car right. and yeah. then like electrifies <laughs> it so that they can like launch, like, so that he can show, like, show the viewer and Marty, like, how we're, we're going to get him back to the right time. And he pauses for a second and he's like, I didn't have enough time to paint everything. It's <laughs> <And laughs> almost very crude. Yeah. And, and then he jumps into the explanation of like how we're going to get Marty back to the okay. to the future. And it's such a great like meta moment within the film. Right. Right. In the same um, way that like we didn't have time to explain exactly how time travel works. We didn't have time to explain, you know, how it is a lightsaber stops when it's supposed to stop or like, <laughs> you know, what the force is until we did. It doesn't matter. Uh, right. Because it, it doesn't matter and it not, it's not going to add anything to the movie. Right. Like yeah. these are these are just the things that you accept when you start watching this film in the same way that when you watch Snowpiercer, you accept that this train is going to go off the tracks a little bit and land back on the tracks and like, be okay because it looks cool, right? And because it like dramatizes what's actually going on and how shaky and unstable the society is and it functions within the film, right? Yeah. And like the worst of it is, like even beyond these people that like just treat film as a logic puzzle are the people that misunderstand the film and treat film as a logic puzzle, right? Like because there is an explanation for why the train can keep running forever. They're killing children. Right? Like, that's how <laughs> yeah. it happens. That's what the movie's about. Yeah, the, the film explains that. In <laughs> right. The movie. Like, it yeah. tells you how it's happening. And it, you don't get that. Not only have you misunderstood the thematics of the movie and the, the messaging of the movie, you've misunderstood the thing you say you care about the most, which is the logic of the movie. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> like, it, it explains it. They so, didn't make it that far into the movie. Apparently not, right? And that's just it. Like, uh, I, so I feel like this movie has been a particular target for those people. And they're wrong and terrible and making film criticism worse all the time. I think that we need to separate sci-fi into two categories, probably. Because I, I think there's a valid um, need for sci-fi that is properly explained or at least tries to explain itself. Because that's one of my favorite... This is the Star Trek versus Star Wars division. Yeah, I guess so. That's one of my favorite aspects kind of, of sci-fi <laughs> is when we get a peek into the future. You know, that's why... One of the reasons I liked 2001 A Space Odyssey is... Mm -hmm. Interesting peek at what things could be. In but two thousand one does a great job of not explaining itself, right? Yeah, Where it, yeah I guess it so. actually like anti-explains itself, right? Yes. Which is um, again what the movie's about, right? Like it's yeah. about how things are. This is unexplainable now. Like we as how we are now is unexplainable. I think what you're getting at, um, or, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, is how important dream logic is, right? Mm -hmm. So dream logic is an idea that shows up in like. Uh, magical realism and stuff like that within literature, but I, I think it applies to sci-fi as well insofar as sci-fi has this world that posits certain rules, yeah. right? So in Snowpiercer, it posits that this train is running forever, that these people are organized in this class system, that the thing that is going to fix global warming backfired and now we live in a, a new ice age, right? Yeah. It, it, you accept those as axioms, Right, like that is that is the the rules in this dreamland, and then within that you need to make sense, right? Yeah. You can't violate those rules, right? But to argue against those rules is to argue against the film itself, yeah. Right, so it logic still matters, but it matters within a parameter, right? It matters within the the rules that the film gives you. 
Yeah. Right? And you can't just say, no, I don't like this rule, therefore I don't like this movie. Because then, yeah. then it's like, okay, but please step out of the room. We're not talking about that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, it's not exactly what I was talking about. Okay. I guess the divide I'm talking about is whether the dream logic fits real world logic or not. Or it it like necessarily doesn't. A right? potential... That's- um, future of the real world. That it's kind of it's like future yeah. science fiction versus like more fantasy science fiction. Yeah, yeah. Which well, yeah. I think, again, divides into Star Wars and Star Trek. Really. Yeah, well, I mean, they talk about like hard sci-fi, right? Like the Neil Stevensons of the world, right? That, that, that are very concerned with explaining the tech yeah, I, I enjoy yeah, the form that's like invented by Jules Verne. Yeah. it's like here's how the future works, and like right. But you know, even like, I, I like engineering and stuff, right? So I like hearing how <laughs> this future tech might work, and I imagine how it could be possible, and it's sure. very cool for me to imagine. Yeah, the, I I agree. Like I agree that those are different categories, but I think that the dream logic theory applies to both because yeah. even in even in Star Trek. Like, you have to just accept that, yes, there's this machine that transports you over onto a planet when you stand in this certain spot, right? And if you say, oh, no, that doesn't make any sense, well, then fuck you. That's not what this movie's about, right? Same thing, like, there's a replicator that can make any kind of food or object or whatever that you want in Star Trek, right? And it's like, you can argue against the replicator not making sense, but that's not the point, yeah, right? So in in the same way that you can argue against the Force not making any sense, but that's just you, like, not engaging with Star Wars in an honest way. Yeah. So I I think that I agree that there is this distinction that, that there are categories of sci-fi movies that care more about explaining things than others do yeah. and, care, and are treated more like magic than others are um, but they still like have this large idea where it's positing rules and then seeing how those rules play out yeah. right? and uh, like that on a conceptual level I think is just necessary to understanding art, understanding narrative understanding film um, and so many people seem to struggle with it that it frustrates and baffles me yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see how sometimes you might not be sold on a world, and then you're just not into the, into the movie in the first place, and like you're not going to be into everything. Yeah, no, I mean, of course not. And like, there are certainly texts that violate their their rules, right? Like yeah. that, that set up certain rules and then break them, right? And sometimes in ways that do kind of kill the story, right? And that matters. Um, but that's just a problem with individual texts. It's not a problem with the concept of you know setting up these rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any closing thoughts on on Snowpiercer? Is there stuff we haven't touched on? There's a lot here. There's yeah, a lot here. There's tons of stuff we haven't touched, but <laughs> I think the use of sushi in the film was funny. And that fish. Speaking of sushi, right? That fucking fish before oh, yeah. the fight what, scene. What was that? That was. It, that's one of the weirder mom- moments in a weird movie. Do you look confused? Remember what I'm talking about? No. I when don't. when the okay. the hooded like axe dudes show up and they have like this fish that they like put their axe in to get blood on it. Right, and then they drop it, and Chris Evans slips on it later on. That must be a reference to something very specific. That yeah, the only thing I'm missing. getting the the only thing I can get out of it is that they're demonstrating that they have access to real animals. Yeah. Right, and these poor people don't. It's like a peak. Or it's, to it's a threat. Right? It's well, yeah, I mean. it's also that. It's also yeah. look at we're going to do to you what we did to this fish. But also, you've never seen this before. Right? Yeah. Like the, these people have probably never seen a live animal before. Yeah. And they can use it as a prop. Right. They can discard it and like just it's trivial to them. So I think it's all, this assertion of power um, as well. Like look at what we have access to and what you don't have access to. Um, but also, yeah, clearly just we're going to cut you in the same way that we cut yeah. this fish and discard it um, like you are nothing. Um, we didn't talk about the drugs at all. True. The heroes of this story are drug addicts. But maybe not, right? Right, right. 
uh, or they're abusing the assumptions maybe that come both. Because it's like part of their escape plan. The yeah. drug also happens to be very volatile. Yep. Which it's an we, explosive. We know some real drugs are, yep. and, or the process of making them is. Yep. And, and film is. Yeah, and it ties in <laughs> neatly with like how they escape the train. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's all they do. They make a bomb out of the drugs that they steal from the rich people <laughs> and uh, use that to destroy the train um, successfully. And this kind of predates the like heroin crisis in the U.S. or the opiate the, the white crisis, heroin crisis, but it actually like uh, predicts it. Predicts it really yeah. well, actually. Yeah, uh, like poverty leads to. Yeah, we knew that already. Like that—that's the crack epidemic, right? Like that's like pick. Yeah, but this drug this drug problem. kind of like mimics how yeah. heroin works, like very closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the movie, like uses that as a plot device, right? Well, in and an interesting I, way. Yeah, and I think that it they kind of like sleep through their lives, and, and it plays on the audience's prejudices, right? Because we are taught that drug abusers are useless. Right, that they yeah, are, they they're are, actually like the heroes of this film. Right, but in this movie, they they do the thing that you're supposed to do. They're the they're the saviors. They're the most correct people in the movie, and um, that's that's clever on Bong Joon part. Yeah, and they had like a very good plan, whereas the people in the yeah. back like actually didn't really have a plan. What because they didn't know what to do once they get out of the car, other than to move forward. Right, right, and and their plan depended on the drug users in the first place because they're the ones that can open the door. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. like they're that. They needed them, um, so really, like the Chris Evans and company work out to just be the muscle for the real plan, which is the plan from uh, from our, our drug abusers, the only Korean characters in the movie, I think. Right? There's a couple like background characters, but they're the ones with like there's, there's roles. The security and, officer. Yes, there's that guy who dies like you know half an hour in. Yeah. Um, but these are like main characters and I think the only Korean characters in the movie. Yeah, and holdovers from his other films. Right. Yeah. Right. Favorite and surprise. actually look, he has a film in the works right now called Parasite and the same guys in, a, oh, really? in that film as well. He's the only listed actor right now. So. Okay. So they're just assuming they just like start pretty safe guess. Yeah. We're gonna see this <laughs> dude. We're gonna see this guy and, and maybe the girl as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I wanna I'm, he must be a worker because uh Akshay came out what, this year? Mm-hmm. Right, so he must have made it last year, and if he's already in production for another one, he's not taking much of a break. Yeah, I mean, when you uh, can command these kind of film prices, like you're obviously like doing something right, something worth investing in. Right, but it's still like making a movie is hard. Like <laughs> that's yeah. just a lot of work. He's just going and going. Uh, so good for him. Good for us because we get more movies. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. That's cool. His movies are good. Most I've seen three of his films now, and I like okay. all of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen four of his films. Yeah, I mean, Korean cinema in general right now is just really excellent. Really, really. At least yeah, the stuff true. that we get in the United States. Unfortunately, we've only seen, like, really two directors kind of, like, trade off. Like, yeah. the guy that does Old Boy, Boy series. Mm-hmm. I forget his name. And then Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the Handmaiden uh, last year was my favorite movie of the year. And that was the guy that did yeah. the Old the Boy, Boy films. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I don't... You, neither of you have seen it, right? Handmaiden? No, nope. I heard it's really good. So good. So good. But his other films were also very good. Um, yeah. I forget which one of the two did this vampire film, but... Uh, one of the, Stoker? Um, it was... The guy that did Old Boy. Which that film is wild. Yeah, uh, <laughs> isn't Nicole Kidman in that? Or am I thinking of something else? No, no, no. It's a film called Thirst, I think. Oh, okay, okay. And um, it's kind of starts as this like 
sort of cutesy teen movie. Okay. And then turns into this like very violent vampire film. So kind of like Audition? I haven't seen Audition. <laughs> yeah. Audition's a hell of a movie. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, any uh, uh, closing thoughts or things we haven't touched on for Snowpiercer, Charles? Um, you did remind me, I didn't like the school scene as much as you seen. Oh, really? Too. That seems great. Um, <laughs> I think it's the best part of the film. <laughs> yeah, 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 for some reason, for me, that scene went a little too far into the cartoonish territory. I no, mean, I the say. whole movie is pretty cartoonish, yes. but this one went a little too far for me where I felt like it was like almost cringy. Yeah, I, I love I love that he wasn't holding back. I love that it's just like we're going for broke because I think when you look at especially American classrooms as an outsider, they probably look kind of horrifying and ridiculous, right? Like you, you'll see it come up all the time where like uh, European or anyone really not from the United States will learn that so many American classrooms do the Pledge of Allegiance every day, mm -hmm. and it's just like this horrifying foreign weird idea, right? And I imagine that is. That how you felt watching, how we felt watching that scene in, in this movie is probably the, uh, similar to how foreigners feel when they learn, oh wait, you guys literally stand up, put your hand over your head and recite a, an oath every day as children, right? Like it's, it's silly yeah. and horrifying. I remember even kind of like resisting the pledge in yeah. school and I mean, in high school, I remember a friend of mine like really resisting it and like he got into like trouble because really? he like didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. But, well, the I don't remember doing said, it beyond elementary school. Oh, I, I, my school did definitely into middle school and high school. Maybe I just forgot, but uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't no. think all my classes did in high school, but I remember very specifically my chemistry class, like starting with it and just being like, yeah, it was at the beginning of the day, whatever the even first class when was. I was like four, 15, 16, I was like, this is weird that yeah. we do this. <laughs> yes, it is weird that we do this. Yeah, but it's that like mean, very nationalist. Like. It, it, yeah, it, explicitly. But yeah. I mean, so many. It's same thing at sporting events, right? I mean, it's in the news now. Yeah. yeah, it's really fucking weird that we have the national anthem and everybody stands up and shit. Before, why is that associated with sports? Especially like, when all the players are like not American. And right. You know, they have like, nothing to do with it. Like, uh, the players are. Like specifically international players, right. and the like, sport is becoming more international. You're playing games in London. You're playing games in Mexico City. Like, yeah, it's or basketball, which like recruits you from all which over, which is even more international. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's it's super weird, and I think or it, NHL, which is like almost all like Russian and Finn and Swedes and Canadian and Canadian. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of teams in Canada. I think they play the Canadian national anthem there. They do. Yeah, I know the Raptors. The same in baseball. Yeah. They'll play the in Toronto, they'll play uh, Yeah, NBA is the same way. But it's yeah. like, why do we associate sports with nationalism? Like, I, I know why, because that's like, how sports are structured. But that's how nationalism works. Yeah, yeah. that's how nationalism <laughs> works. And it's like, yeah. you, you're picking a side in the same way that you pick a side in, in a game. Yeah. Um, Have you seen o Olympia, the Lenny Riefenstahl? No, I haven't. I saw the other one. Olympics documentary? I saw the, uh, the other Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah, it is wild and worth watching okay yeah I, I believe it yeah. yeah i think i've seen clips of it um although speaking of nazi documentaries um there was this one that's been floating around the internet recently that's like 15 minutes long it's a short documentary film that is essentially just footage from the nazi rally at madison square gardens in like the 30s and it, it hmm. and like there's no voiceover they don't have any interviews it's just footage of this event yeah and it is horrifying mm -hmm. and riveting and it's it's quick it's like 14 minutes long or something and it's really really good um so i was reminded of that um olympia is like it yeah you you can't like view the olympics the same after watching it yeah yeah <laughs> the, the olympics should be abolished 
like yeah. for many reasons, but I, I am I am an Olympic example. Well, it's, a, it's a corrupt organization <laughs> that ruins the cities that it goes to. Yes, that's <laughs> that's the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And same with the World Cup, but yes, yes, yeah. maybe even more so. Um, Much but, more corrupt, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm an Olympics abolitionist, which is not what I anticipated talking about <laughs> for this episode. Um, it makes sense, yeah, like for, fascism. I see how we got there. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah for, the, for, for the school scene, my problem was not like feeling horrified. It's just I just felt a little cringed out by the way it was written. Yeah. Like I was annoyed, annoyed by the word choice because um, part of the chant was like, we'll all blow up and die or something like it that. We'll all freeze and die. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I don't know that I just didn't like the words they chose. It just, it felt a little out of place for me. It, um, I love when I see scenes like that though yeah. in films because it's like, this is the best. Like when yeah. the director is like, it's okay that it's cartoonish and like absurdist or right. extreme when they're willing to kind of like go there in films with purpose. With purpose, yeah. I think um, mm-hmm. one of the best parts of the not Alien Covenant, but what's the one before Alien Covenant? Prometheus. 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 Not a great film, but the it has this like abortion scene late yeah. in the film, and that is like. One of the greatest things that's like ever been put to film ever. I like, closed my eyes for that whole thing. Oh my god, the it is. I couldn't take it. One of the best like scenes in a film. Of course, you'll have that scene. Yeah, of course you do. I don't yes. often close my eyes in the theater, but that was one of the times. I just yeah. remember when it started. I was like, "Are they going to do this? Like, <laughs> like are they going to yes. like do yeah. this?" Are and they projecting like, an alien abortion on a giant screen in a megaplex in America for everybody to see? It was like a popular huge sci-fi film, blockbuster movie. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, it's just yes. Holy crap! They're going there. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I mean, what the uh, "We're all going to freeze and die" um, line reminded me of is uh, "Duck and Cover," mm-hmm. right? Like it, it seemed like a callback yeah, to uh, yeah. uh, to the Red Scare and to the idea that hiding under your fucking desk at school is going to protect you from a nuclear bomb, right? Like that. It, it's like threatening. You're threatening these children with death, and like you're making them aware of the idea that what is preserving you like what is keeping you alive in a literal way is the train is the system the system the united states of america is capital is reagan whatever and, and like that that's to me what what that specific moment uh called to mind no i i understand what it means it's just I okay still i mean if it like, doesn't work for you i it still don't like yeah. the word choice it just yeah. felt too cheesy and also when they get the guns and the pregnant lady starts shooting that yes. felt one, like one of those like edgy like haha look the pregnant woman is shooting a gun sort of things to me and I don't like that no I, I, that totally worked for me the, the Allison pill whipping out the, the yeah. Uzis yeah I, I think it's a reflection on like how nationalism operates and like, yeah. how people are indoctrinated into it and like one of the creepier things about or like one of the creepier documents of like the Nazis is like them celebrating Christmas, right? Where it's just yeah. like just a normal Christmas, and yeah. then you like find out that like the Im- these images are Nazis, and yeah. like, it's like okay, like at it's like at one of the concentration. They're like the staff of like one of the concentration camps or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's like reflected here. Banality of evil, right? Yeah, yeah or just sense. the the monstrous nature of like even things that we assume are normal in our yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's even banal. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah. I like when filmmakers go there. I, I think we see this a lot in pop films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the good ones, like in the good pop films, like 
um, just like something you've like never seen before in film or thought that was like possible to do in cinema. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons I go to the movies is to see something new, even yeah. if it's not done super well. No, another scene that comes to mind is like the like, I think it's like in Fast and Furious Five or Six when they do like the two cars like dragging a safe through yeah. Rio. Yeah. And that was like that's something I've never seen before, and they did it most somewhat real. <laughs> that's and what I like about that series. They, they do stuff you haven't seen. They do new stuff in yeah territory. And I think that's one of the reasons that that like series works as like a pop yeah. product, and it doesn't fall prey to like the sort of Transformers issues. Is that they're like they try to do things for real. They try to do things that you've never seen before in a genre that's like way played out. Right. Well, and they're yeah. not unlike Transformers. Like they're not asking you to take it seriously. They're like we're supposed to take these talking robots kind of seriously in Transformers. Yeah. Sometimes. And yeah. Like, there's not really any of that. There's there's a lot of other layers to it. Like they have yeah. a very internationalist cast, very diverse. Yeah. There's women who have like strong roles in the films. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there, yes, there are many differences between yeah. Fast and Furious. Helps and to have an Asian director. Yeah, there you it go. does actually. That's true. Yeah. Um, is this a recommendation? Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, yes. Yes. So. Okay. Absolutely. Universally. Even if, uh, is it, is I, it? I know some people who would find it too obvious and probably be turned off immediately by it. Okay. But otherwise, I would recommend the movie. And I think it is important for those people to examine why that's a problem for them. Yeah. Right? Like, why is, why is the obviousness a bad thing? And what would it look like if it weren't obvious? Or the expectation yeah. just that, like, everything is ironic now. Yeah. Is, like, a terrible expectation. Yeah, we should people, have spent more time we on should that, stop, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. Stop, like, doing that. I think we've talked about it before, but, right. like, if but you treat, like, Every plot line, like it should be ironic, then you like you just this isn't like again. This comes out of like I think it comes out of like '90s media culture where everything suddenly became ironic, and we couldn't make a serious film ever again. Yeah, and uh, without yeah. being depressing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. David Foster Wallace has spoken on this at length, um, yeah. but he has one essay in particular where he talks about it quite a bit um, in the context of television. And the point, one of the points he raises is that this love of irony or this draw towards irony is really a fear of being human, right? A fear of embracing your own humanity, right? Because as you become more sincere and closer to other people and what you're actually feeling, what you're actually thinking, you become more like a person. And as you become more distant from that and further away from people and more isolated, you become less human. And so the, this, this draw towards irony and this, this these people that run away or are repulsed by things that have a, a clear, honest message are people that may have a problem with embracing what they actually want and what they and and embracing community and embracing the people around them. Yeah. And that that certainly isn't true for everyone. And there are such things as overbearing, trickly, unnecessary films that have messages that are meaningless and unimportant. But not all the time, and probably not even most of the time. And I think that if that's how you approach movies that have something real to say, you need to think real hard about why you're reacting that way. Yeah, and I think in the 90s, this became an excuse to like, well, we, it's harder to do racism now, so let's do it ironically. Yeah. And like, yeah, well, so you yeah. see like racism implemented in a way that's like meant to be ironic a lot. Which is it's still like, happening. It's like... <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe you're you're just really racist yeah. and not like ironically <laughs> racist. Yeah. And, like, Another can of worms. You see this a lot in comedy, like people who are like sort of like First Amendment right uh, warriors, uh, right. like the Bill Maher's of the world. I mean, this it's is like every Family Guy joke. Yeah. Yeah, and now that you see so late in Bill Maher's career, it's like, oh, maybe you were just racist just all along. <laughs> yeah, and saying racist things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, 
then that's a sign too. So yeah, yeah. The, I think yeah, the irony covers for a lot, um, including just you know bad ideas, um, yeah. and, and including just your own sincere feelings and your fear of your own sincere feelings. And, and we don't need to get into it now because we're like over time. But like part yeah. part of like irony is sort of like a detachment that you feel from reality, which going with this movie like is a byproduct of capitalism. Like if yes. you if you feel yeah that you can't connect with other humans or with the system that you're within that is on purpose like the alienation of the worker from their labor right exactly where you feel a distance from what you're doing you don't believe in what you're doing you have a job that teaches you to do things that are unimportant and alienates you from the value of your labor yep that is on purpose that is like how capitalism functions yep so that is that's true. So we're bringing it back, bringing it back to Marx. So I think that's <laughs> yeah. a that's a good spot to end. Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. Um, Crossman, it's your pick. What do we got coming up? Uh, I would like to do Sideways. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah Sideways is great. Good break from the types of films we've been doing. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. no no violence in this movie. Or very little. Very small. Yeah, that is not true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's actually a few scenes of violence yeah, in Sideways. It's, yeah. It's I a, hear he violently hates Merlot. Yeah. That is true as well. That is true. So the one thing I know about this movie is that wannabe wine people ascribe to this movie's philosophy of wine. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching this film to see if it holds up for me. I saw it when it came out and not since then. Uh, yeah, I've seen it quite a few times, but I haven't seen it, in, I don't think, in the last 10 years. I certainly have not. And I'll be interested to see if it's still good. I hope so. And I like Paul Giamatti. I like Tom Satan Church. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. That's I, I was not anticipating that pick, so I'm, I'm glad to be surprised. Um, in any event, thank you for listening to the episode. If you liked it, please share it with people. Um, if please. You, yes, please. Uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you are. Um, and please join us ne- next week for Sideways.